Hi, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Tara Humphrey. I run an award-winning healthcare consultancy specialising in supporting primary care networks. I'm a facilitator. I am a mum of three. I have an MBA and I would class myself as a bit of an adventurer. And I absolutely love all things business, all things leadership, all things management. So I created this podcast for clinical and non-clinical colleagues working in the field of health and care and for those of you looking to develop your leadership skills. Every week we release an episode which focuses on the hard and soft skills required to lead in this increasingly complex environment as we move to delivering more integrated care. So let's jump into this week's episode. Hey, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I hope you guys are doing well. So it is my pleasure today to bring to you an interview with Christine Bushell. So Christine is an advanced nurse practitioner. She's also a nurse partner. She's also the nurse lead at Harrow Training Hub. Her practice is St. Peter's Medical Centre in Harrow. And they, whilst they wouldn't advertise it, they are a practice a Christian-based practice based at the back of a church. We talk about that. We talk about her leadership style. We talk about self-awareness and self-reflection. She gave us some examples of how she manages feedback. She talks about her non-bitching policy in her practice. This woman also has got bags and bags and bags of energy. And what I really loved about this interview, I just felt that she was really honest, really refreshing, really fun, really upbeat and really insightful. You know, I think there's a concept called, um, you know, the curse of knowledge. And when you know it, you you think, well, surely everybody, doesn't everybody know this? And it's like, no, Christine, we don't all know it. And how she communicates her leadership style and thoughts and how she goes on about her day, I just thought was super insightful. I, you're going to love it. Um, and I'll see you in the next episode. Enjoy. Hey, Christine, thank you so much for joining me on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. So uh, we met, so you are currently at the time of recording on our New to GP partnership course, which um, I run alongside Ben Gowlin, uh, Dr. Najsadat and Robert McCartney. And we were just talking and in every kind of session, I was like, I really would like to like get to know, get to know you more. And then I don't know who said it. It might have been Ben that said, Taurus, that's one for your podcast. I was like, already, I think I'd already messaged you. <laughs> I was like, would you come on the podcast? Um, so could you share with our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do today? Okay. Um, so my name's Christine Bushell. I work as an advanced nurse practitioner, but I'm also a partner um, at St. Peter's Medical Centre in Harrow. Um, I've been there for uh, 20 years this year. Wow. Um, and yeah, my background was all A&E, um, so that I was a real adrenaline junkie <laughs> in the beginning. Um, and I wondered if I was going to get the same hit in primary care and 100% more than that. I know you can't say more than 100%, but for me, 
Um, I think the journey and the learning curve has been absolutely huge since coming into primary care. And I really thought when I left A&E as an A&E sister, I thought, you know what, I know quite a lot of stuff. And hitting primary care was like, whoa, there's so much I don't know, even about myself and the way that I function. And um, yeah, so coming into primary care has been um, just an incredible journey. Um, And one where I just feel... It's been exciting sort of seeing glass ceilings and then just breaking through them and thinking, no, do you know what? I could do this and I could do that. Um, and yeah, so so that's where I am now. So predominantly I'm, I'm working as an ANP. So I'm doing um, a lot of e-consult sorting, um, seeing a lot of the sort of acute on the day stuff. Um, not so great on the chronic stuff. Um, thankfully, we have our amazing GPs who do <laughs> the more complicated things. But um I yeah I still absolutely love um, and get a complete buzz out of giving really good patient care like as soon as you know as soon as we can give it basically I don't like the thought of making people wait so I think my my values haven't changed uh, but the challenges have definitely changed. (laughs) At what point did you go into partnership? Um, Well this is a bit of an awkward one because they offered me partnership a few years ago um, but I was a little bit nervous then because it was very new um, and I looked into it and felt, actually, I, I don't want to become a financial partner at that point. Um, but they allowed me to sort of act as a partner. So I was in the partnership meetings. I was able to be involved in a lot of the decision making. Um, that was from about 2015. Um, and then in the last couple of years, I've been saying, actually, do you know what? I, I, I want a place at the table here properly. Um, and they were very willing to just say, yeah, that's fine. We can switch you over to financial partnership. So I didn't properly become a partner until um, October last year. And for those of us or those people listening that are thinking like, what's a partner, financial partner? What's a, what's a financial partner in a GP practice? Well, I guess the financial partnership means that you have, um, firstly, you have a vote on what goes on with the finances and how they're spending the money. Um, but it also means that you would get um a dividend at the end of the year you depend you know you're, you're you're no longer salaried um your 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 money can go up and down depending on how the business is doing um so it gives that extra incentive to make sure that your business is doing really well because you know that you know your your money at the end of the year will yeah. will reflect that You've got a financial stake. Okay. So you mentioned you enjoy seeing a glass ceiling and smash through it. What glass ceilings do you feel like you've smashed through? Oh, um, I think there's so many things that I'm really passionate about. Seeing nurses in primary care, um, being adventurous, you know, looking for, looking for opportunities and thinking, do you know what? I could do that. I could do that. So um, when I first came into primary care, I was... Um, came in as a practice nurse and I was already an, an emergency nurse practitioner but I couldn't see um, a lot of conditions so instantly I was like I want to see what the GPC and back then I mean that was 2008 um, or no 2006 um, they they were like well nurses don't tend to do that nurses tend to do smears and ears and you know that's that's their remit but I was like no no I can I want to do more I, I can do this stuff in A&E therefore why can't I you know start seeing abdo pains and neck pains and headaches and you know, can I, you know, so I literally sort of pushed to get put on the masters. Um, and you no, know, so that's, sort of, but that was a strategic leadership um, masters with clinical practice. So it also gave me a leadership um, edge as well, which was great so to start to see how the business was working. So again, I started saying even way back then, you know, can I, can I come to some of your strategic meetings? Can I, you know, would you mind if I, you know, what about this? Or can we try that? Or, 
And I just feel that uh, previous to that, and I still think some GP surgeries possibly are, they're quite GP centric and they see themselves as the leaders and absolutely right, many of them are, but often some GPs aren't. They haven't got a leadership edge to them and they really are just brilliant at being GPs, but they haven't necessarily got the management skills. Um, and I felt very strongly that actually I've got more to offer. And so I felt, you know, that's the sort of first ceiling I wanted to smash was like, no, I want to see similar stuff to the GPs, which back then was, you know, quite different. Um, other things, I guess, being a, being a partner, I never dreamed that I would ever be allowed to be a partner. Um, and so when they suggested it to me back in 2015, I, I sort of thought, wow, this is amazing because that means that there's a real career progression here for nurses that can inspire other nurses. So that I think previously people think that um, GP nursing is uh, where you go to retire. It's where the nurses go when they no longer want to do shifts or night shifts or, or weekends and they want a nice nine to five job. Um, primary care is far more dynamic than that. And I'm desperate to get the message out there to nurses that actually this is a really dynamic area, far more dynamic than some of the, you know, the high profile areas like ITU and A&E, which are also great. Don't get me wrong. Absolutely love them. But, you know, this is, you know, you can treat their heart attack. You can treat their, you know, their lungs collapsing, etc. However, wouldn't it be great if you could preempt that lung, you know, that lung problem or that heart problem by actually screening them in primary care or finding those things quicker? And it's like that old story. I don't know if you know the story about whether you, you know, the man who spent his whole life pulling kids out of the river. Have you ever heard this story? No. Okay. There's a, it's probably some fable from somewhere, but, yeah. you know, you can either be the man that constantly rescues kids from the river or you can be the person that says, hold on a minute, I'm going to go up river and find out who's pushing them all in. Okay. You know, that feeling of like, yeah. I could just carry on rescuing people at the point that they have the heart attack or I could get into primary care and actually think how we can prevent them from having that heart attack in the first place. And so I, I think over the years, I've just feel that primary care has got such a dynamic edge to it that people just don't see and actually the stuff that we do there is really important and I think previously I thought the other way around so can you see why I wanted to speak to you (laughs) well not really but anyway have your partners or your colleagues your peers ever said no to you possibly not um but I think maybe I don't go to to them with things that I think they're likely to say no to. So often if I'm going to go to them with something that I think needs to be changed, I'll often go with, you know, what the issue is, what the solution is, how I think this could be different, you know. And so regardless of what it is, I would never go to them, you know, with a, I want this. I would be saying, do you know what? I've been thinking, this, 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 <laughs> you know. Um, and I think it'd be really a good idea if we did this. And you know, sometimes they might have said, oh, hold on a minute, Chris, let's think about that. We need to bring that to the partners meeting or we need to. Um, but I have to say, generally, I have been ridiculously blessed with the people that I've worked with. And I don't think no is on their, <laughs> is in their vocabulary. Generally, they're, you know, they're always, even if they're thinking, uh-oh, no, they're full of grace. And they sort of say, hmm, that's interesting. Let's go away and think about that. Well, maybe if you could just give me a few more, uh, a bit more information about that, Chris, and then we'll, we can talk about it. So, no, I, I think it's probably because of the people that they are. Um, and I think if I feel really strongly about something, I'll make sure I've got all of the compelling evidence to back up what I want to change and why I want to change it to try and get them on board um, before uh, before I ask them anything big. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I can't honestly say that they are 
yeah, they're amazing people to work with. I can't fault them. Stop showing off. So how, <laughs> how in regards to your influence outside of the practice, so when you're in conversations with CCGs or even your peers in your neighbouring practices or PCN, is it the same? How do you influence the direction of travel? Um, I think so on the training hub lead for Harrow, uh, for nurses and um, allied health professionals, um, and I've been doing that for the last eight years. So I've got really good connections with the other surgeries. Um, and so I think that helps. Um, I think communication is the biggest thing and, and being available at the point of need. So when something goes wrong in a surgery and they, you know, text me or whatever, being available to people and just saying, look, don't worry about that. You just need to fill out this form or you just need to do this or don't worry. I think when you've got relationship with people, they will listen to you. And I think if you're there for them when things have gone a bit pear-shaped and you're able to say, okay, so you've got a recruitment issue in your surgery right now. You know, what is it you need? What are you looking for? Let me help you, you know, write your job advert so that a nurse will be interested in that. You know, and I'm really happy to help you with your interview process. I'm really happy to. So being available over the years I think people get to know you and I get some really funny requests where I'm like why did you think that's part of my rebirth <laughs> anyway yeah I do know the answer to that funnily or I don't know the answer to that but I know someone who does so I think the blessing of being somewhere for 20 years um, is that I'm quite well connected and so um, I may not know the answer but I think I'm quite a good conduit okay. to, you know so I think when I do come up with something so when the vaccination centres were set up for example um, initially when in the beginning stages they were talking about um, how are they going to get staff? Um, and, you know, and it was really nice that someone was like, well, contact Chris. She's got all of the all the details of all the nurses. And so that was really quite a straightforward, you know, email straight out and then training and then videos. And we're all on a WhatsApp group, you know, and then, right, we need to do this. This is the form you need to fill in. This is where you need to send it. So, you know, it, being connected, communicating, being receptive when people are asking for something specific I think that helps your influence, doesn't it? Because yeah. people see you as a can-do person who will say, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I can. Oh, I don't know the answer, but I can find out who can and I'll get back to you. Um, so I think that helps. Where you mentioned it's still in, well, in certain practices, and I think it's fair to say, you know, like it's still, you know, like doctor first, doctor says. When you have, do you get nurses come to you and say, I've asked for this or I'd like to do this? And I just get, you know, you either get a no or you get, that's really interesting. You know, I'll go away and think about it. And they like go away. <laughs> they never come back. You know, like how do you coach and help those nurses that don't have, that are not in the same position? Yeah. So um, we recently applied for some um, funding. Me and a, a doctor who's amazing as well. She works for the VTS program at Norfolk Park. We have these dinners where we suddenly think, right, how can we tackle this? And we were very aware that nurses don't step up into leadership positions or they're not even listened to. And sometimes they're not even at the table, you know, a lot of um, surgeries and PCNs. Um, so a couple of years ago, um, we put out for some funding, got some funding to run something called a step up leadership program for nurses and allied health professionals who just feel that they've got a voice to be heard, but it's not getting heard. Um, and so we put on this training that was fully funded and even money for the surgeries to release them, which is really unusual. Yeah. So we were paying, we were offering to pay the surgery and pay the nurse for her time or um, have a couple of pharmacists as well on it. And um, we basically had sort of eight sessions of coaching them on how to have a voice at the table. 
So, you know, looking at their own self-awareness, how to put themselves forward, what their goals, what their dreams are, what's holding them back, what could they do about each of those goals or dreams, what's their driving force. And, you know, and, and if they're not in an environment that's going to support that, then maybe time for them to be somewhere else where it is going to be supported. So giving them lots of ideas of, of how to go about these things is, is one way. I think the other thing is, is not just about being persistent. It's about making sure that they're aware what abilities that you have. I think if you go to GP sometimes and say, oh, I don't like the way this is done, that's, you know, you won't necessarily get much back from them. Whereas if you say to them, oh, I watched an amazing podcast about this happening, da, 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 da. and I reckon that we could do this because if you look at this percentage, we're only doing this amount, but actually we could make this amount. And actually, there's money attached to that. Money is a really good driver. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so the moment you say, actually, we could make £3,400 if we just improved our learning disability checks or you know, so therefore, I'd really like to go and do this training because then we could do these properly and then we would get this pot of money. And so I think, you know, having the enthusiasm of what you want to change, why you want to change it, how you're going to change it and how little they have to do to actually say yes to you because you're going to drive it, I think makes a huge difference um, because I think GPs generally are very overwhelmed trying to be clinical and managerial and trying to hold everything together that I think that if someone comes to them with another problem, they're far more likely to say, no, I'm sorry, I can't deal with this right now. If you go to them and say, this is what I've thought about, this is my reasons why, this is what I think it would benefit the practice, and there's money involved, they're going to go, oh, yeah, um, yeah it's fine. <laughs> Just, you know, do Just what you going to do it, yeah. Yeah, so I think it's about how you pitch and, you know, being confident about actually what is your driving force. If it's patient care, you've got a really strong argument. If it's just because you feel you deserve a rise, you haven't got a strong argument, sadly, you know. But if you say, look, if I did this, I could do that and I could do that and that would bring in £8,000 to the practice. And while we're here, actually, I haven't had a pay rise for a few years. And if I was to meet this target, do you think that would be something that partners could consider in six months' time if I meet this target? That's far more, you know, you're yeah. speaking the GP's language or a manager's language to say, this is what I can offer. This is what I can bring you. Do you want me? But do you think... But. I think, what were you like as a kid? <laughs> um, yeah, I think personality plays a big part. In this. <laughs> I, know, I know where you're going with this. Um, and I think it's, you know, all of these personality things are really, I think they're quite fascinating. I've done um, several over the years and they all seem to come out the same. Although I think they do change as you as you grow as a leader and, and do different things. I was always very sort of hyperactive. I was out at a club every night every lunchtime <laughs> I was on every team every because I'm just too nosy I'm too curious I want to be everywhere and I want to do everything I'm quite an extrovert so I think that plays in your favor I think it's far harder for people who are a bit shy and not very forthcoming with what their needs are and I think I'm quite self-directed I always have been I would never wait for somebody to tell me what I needed to do I would always be like right I've got a list I'm, this is my task list this is what I'm going to do this is how I'm going to do it this is what I'm going to do it by if I'm given a deadline I make the deadline four or five days before that just in case something happens <laughs> and I'm not able to you know so if I get ill on the last day nope um so I am a planner I am you know all of those sort of things come into play and so I think uh, personality is a strong yeah strong contender and I think you know knowing being self-aware and knowing how that can work in your favor but also how that can work against you is um is a trick that I think I'm only just really beginning to understand over the last five years of of how your your strengths are also your weaknesses and you have to be aware of that 
Do you ever think, so like each year, you're like, yep, I'm, like I feel like I'm self-aware. And then the next year, it's like, no, now I'm really self-aware. <laughs> and then the next year, it's like, wow. <laughs> you know, like, maybe I didn't have a clue. <laughs> it's a constant, it's a constant yeah. um, thing, isn't it? And I, and I, the, I can only compare it to sort of the insights discovery thing, which I've, I've mentioned before, but yeah. um, the colours personality um, thing. Like when I first started, I was a pure yellow. I was sunny. I was, you know, I was just wanting to sort of, you know, make everyone happy. And I just wanted a really peaceful harmony, you know, the harmonious place to work. Um, and I had a little touch of red, you know, which is the sort of leadership and the, yeah. you know, uh, wanting to direct and motivate and all that sort of stuff. And because we do it regularly at our surgery, we every two or three years, we redo the colours um, thing just to see where we're all at and see how we're yeah. functioning and how to get the best out of everyone. And I'm way more red now than I ever used to be, but I've still got that yellow that makes me want to go and do karaoke at the end of the day or Zumba <laughs> or boxing or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I haven't lost my yellow, but obviously my red area has really grown. I still haven't got any blue in me. The blue is the sort What's of... What's the blue? audits uh, okay. people who like all the information before they can make a decision and they they love number crunching and they are you know um, they'll, they'll read a document from beginning to end whereas I'll speed read it and maybe read the executive summary and have a highlighter pen ready in case something jumps out yeah but you know I, I will read what I think I have to okay maybe a little bit more but that'll be it you know so I think that's really interesting looking at how your personality changes as you're put into new roles and challenged and learn more so I think being self-aware it's made me think it's fluid. I may yeah. think I know who I am, but next year I may be, if, if I'm giving different challenges and different things to do, I might grow in that area and the other that other area might, yeah. you know, shrink a bit. But I think that the whole Jahari window thing of knowing what you do know and what you don't know is, has been the most helpful thing to me of thinking. When someone says to me, Chris, are you where you were quite aggressive in that meeting? I'm like, oh, really? Yeah. I was, that's, you know, thank you for pointing that out, but. I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to come across as I was excited. I don't know why that came across as aggressive. Um, so, yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's fluid, isn't it? We change. And I think as long as we're constantly hungry for looking for ways to keep growing and keep yeah. um, knowing what we do and the effect that we have on other people, you know, what I, I once went to a talk where they said, you know, what smell do you leave when you leave a room? What fragrance do you leave? And I was like, well, oh, that's a bit gross but actually what they're talking about is what atmosphere you, you know when you go yeah. into a room what's the atmosphere like when you leave a room what's, because if they're all going oh goodness thank goodness she's gone I'm exhausted you have to be aware of that because if, if you go in high energy and they're all like no Chris we're about to close down <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you know you've got to read the room you've got to understand that sometimes that that high energy and enthusiasm it you have to tone it down sometimes yeah that's not what this what that's not what this meeting needs how do you so when you get those insights from other people and someone says oh I found that you're really aggressive how do you objectively go thank you that was really that wasn't my intention how do you then in the next meeting think well I'm not going to say anything you know like how do you not take that comment personally and then show up in the way that you always would because by no means that's a really horrible thing to say but we all say feedback is a gift and we all want feedback and then when you get that feedback and you think that's way off no I wasn't no I wasn't <laughs> like <laughs> I think it depends who it comes from doesn't it I mean I 
I guess I'm mainly talking about um, my practice manager who is incredible. I mean, she's, yeah, she absolutely speaks the truth boldly every single time. <laughs> and you know that you can, if you, you know, does my, does my, does my bum look big in this? She'll be like, yes, yeah, you know, she's not one to, she doesn't sugarcoat anything, but at least you know where you stand. So, yep. you know, and I trust her and I, I know she's on my side. I know she's for me as a person and as a professional. So when she says to me, Chris, that was a little bit unkind or what you said there came across like this. I I listen because I just think I respect, you know, obviously you want to go into justifying mode. You want to say, oh, no, we didn't mean that. No, you know, honestly, I didn't. But then I think sometimes you have to examine what is actually going on in your mind because something's come out there, something's leaked. And maybe there is a bit of resentment. Maybe there is a bit of anger that I need to go away and think about, okay, why did I react so strongly to that? I I particularly do it when they're talking about nurses in a meeting because I think sometimes GPs forget, especially when you're on a Northwest London forum, you know, which is predominantly for GPs and you might have the odd nurse. You know, they can come out with some real sweeping statements about Mm. nurses. And I can really get quite, you know, angry because I just think that is really unfair, you know, that your nurses, you say your nurses aren't aware of this or they aren't. Um, And so I have to be very careful about when I'm being defensive for the profession, especially as I do sit on a lot of forums where I may be the only nurse. Um, And I can, uh, I'm becoming more aware that there's there's certain things where where they'll press my button and I'll think, okay, I'm aware the button's gone off. I'm <laughs> just gonna, you know, and then I and then I have to sort of do this internal process of, you know, okay, this isn't personal, it wasn't aimed at me. They probably don't even realise there's a nurse listening into this. Okay, what could I say that will represent the nurse as well, but that won't come across as angry? And, you know, so I think I've learned over the years to sort of, you know, and I've certainly learned not to do those nice knee-jerk emails that you can send off of yeah. now. To, to pen it, you know, pen it, type yeah. it, and then, and then the just, following morning. Yeah. <laughs> and then change it a little bit and then decide, actually, do I still really need to send this? Maybe sometimes mm. I do, sometimes I don't. But Outside of the email example, how quick is that thought process around, they've just said something, they've walked their way off. How quickly are you thinking, okay, relax, really, you know, like, did I hear, you know, did I hear it? How quick is that thought process? I think it's fairly, I'm, I think I'm, I think I'm quite self-aware of when someone's pressed my button. And I think depending on what type of meeting I'm in and who I'm with, um, if it's say if it's in a partnership meeting, not that that it very rarely happens. Um, but if they were to say something that I think, whoa, that's not fair. I think I would say, I would react immediately and I'd say, uh, actually, I'm not sure about that. That felt really uncomfortable when you said that. And I have even said to people, do you know what? I need to go away and think about why I've reacted like that to what you've just said. And maybe we can have a talk about this tomorrow if it's still bothering me. But there's something about that sentence that has really annoyed me. And I just need to go away and think about whether that's a personal thing, whether that's an actual thing that we need to deal with or or whether actually I'm just hungry. <laughs> and I'm <laughs> yeah, wanting the meeting to finish. Yeah. You know, so if I know them really well, I'll be that honest and I'll say, do you know what? That didn't feel nice, what you just said. And I can't work out quite why. But can, you know, can we talk about this tomorrow when I've really thought about that? In a bigger meeting, I may just I may just stay silent. It depends if I'm I'm known, if I've got the ability to have to say something back. Or I might write in the comments section on the side just to defend, to say, you know, I appreciate that your nurse may not be 
da 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 but could you you know are, do, are they at the table at your meetings do they come to your clinical meetings there are some surgeries where they don't even have their nurses at their clinical meetings and I then they, they wonder all... why they're not doing things oh the people are be in a room and they'll be like oh what do you do and I'll be like I'm a manager and they're like oh is that the time you know like they're not interested um but I'm kind of it doesn't it doesn't really bother me but I suppose I probably like how you advocate for nurses I do a lot for PCN managers because I'm a bit like how can you not understand what an amazing skill set this is like just let them help you why would you not want them to do that so I think I'm probably a bit more I don't know I think where you mentioned you know like it depends so there might be some instances where you'll just observe you know like just okay I'm not going to say anything and it's not necessarily being frightened to say something but it's not truly understanding the power the dynamics the hierarchy and if you're not known it's a bit like let me just sometimes you know you think did I really hear what I just heard and you could say can I just double check what you meant by that or you just stay silent but it's not a fit I'm not scared I'm just I cut people slack if they don't know me they can make their judgment about me I mean the vaccination centers we were all working ridiculous hours all the time all of us were um, and, you know, somebody said, oh, Chris, well, you, of course you're here. You're just a workaholic and you want the money. <laughs> I was like, I found it laughable because I just thought, yeah, I am a workaholic, but that's because I really enjoy what I do. And um, no, I don't think I've put my invoice in yet. So I, I know for myself, that's yeah. not who I am. So it's easy to brush those ones off, isn't it? And, and he didn't know me. So why should I, why should I worry what he thinks about me? But you know, when it's somebody close to you who says something like that, you know, yeah, then stinks. then you start to think, mm, okay, what's their intention in saying that? Is there any element of it that's true? Do I need to reflect on that, or can I brush that one off? So I think it's yeah, as you say, that if it's somebody who doesn't know you, I, well, I can cut, I can cut them slack. They don't know me. They can judge me all they like, but they don't know me. Mm. If somebody who knows me was to say something like that, then I'd be far more likely to say. Can I just clarify what you've just said and what you meant by that? And what was your intention by saying it like that? Because if it was meant to hurt, you well done, <laughs> you did that. And if it was not, if it was meant as a joke, then fine, but I'm not laughing. <laughs> you know, so I think clarifying with people that you know and who know you, I think it is really important so that you don't carry those things around with you into the next meeting or into the next, you know, encounter that you have with someone. But that takes confidence, even if it's like a, with a friend, you know, like a friend or, you know, like a colleague that, you, you know, you think, I thought we were cool. I thought we were friends. It does take confidence to speak up about the little things and the big things. And I think I hate conflict. I hate it with a passion. And I'm sure, I don't think anyone likes it, do they? No. But, you know, I think I, the, I did the NHS Leadership Academy course, the Rosalind Franklin one, uh, a couple of years ago. And I had, that was groundbreaking for me. That was absolutely incredible because they went through about how to do courageous conversations. Um, I guess we would have called difficult conversations or, you know, yeah. <laughs> whatever. But I think it's really good reframing something into being a courageous conversation and actually thinking I'm doing this for their benefit as well as mine. And it's, yeah, I think it reframes the way that you see those difficult conversations. And actually, if I'm not communicating properly with someone, and there seems to be a bit of friction, I would much rather call it out and say, look, we seem to be clashing. And I just want to check, am I imagining this? Is this, you know, if it's really there, can we just talk about whatever whatever the elephant is in the room? Let's just sort it out. We can agree to disagree. We don't have to be on the same page on everything. 
but I do need to work with you. So, you know, what's our similarities? What do we agree on? And the things that we don't agree on, let's agree to disagree where we can and let's negotiate where we can't. Yeah, I think over the years, I think you learn these skills, don't you? And they don't always work perfectly. I don't know. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> No, of course they don't want to say would never be any conflict if we always followed the 10 step framework to managing difficult conversations it would all be fine all of the time wouldn't it i've had some spectacular screw-ups but um <laughs> <laughs> but again you learn more from your mistakes than you do from the things that go well yeah um, and thankfully i've learned a lot <laughs> <laughs> so could you share with us about your practice so I've, tell me if i've got the if I'm getting it wrong, would you say that you are a faith, you are a faith-based practice? Originally, we were part of a vision from the church. The church was derelict, and um, there was a bunch of women who um, prayed in this derelict church for there to be revival. And it's a huge church in the middle of a very densely populated area in Harrow. Anyway, long story short, the uh, the church was reopened in the 1980s, and it became a very vibrant community centre. But there was this vision from these women that there was going to be some sort of healthcare. Um, provision on site um, and so sort of end of the 80s um, somebody came across this vision that these women have written down and they said oh this is interesting perhaps we should have some sort of healthcare provision here and there was a GP who um, was going to a nearby tent who said actually I would happily open a GP surgery on the back of this site so we're actually in the back of a massive church and we still have really good links with the church next door and m- majority of us are practicing Christians Obviously, we have we have people of all faiths who work for us. It's not um, it's not exclusive, but I tend I think we tend to attract people who do have a faith. And I think the the difference that that makes is that we our core values are all the same. One of the first things that I noticed when we did when we started the course that you were running yeah. um, is that we were talking about what are the biggest disputes between partnerships, and it was sort of said you know that one of the biggest disputes is not having the same core values, not having the same priorities. And so I think the partnership has always been Christians. And their core values are very much about serving God in our community, you know, being a light, being something that is, you know, um, helpful and not harmful to the community around us. So I think that has remained. And I think um, when I first started, they when I first started there, they they said to me, um, Chris, I need to tell you about the no bitching policy. What is that? And they said, basically, we have a biblical view of dealing with um, problems between the team. And that is that you speak to the person. You don't speak to anyone else about it. And if there's a problem, then you bring in another person and then you, you know, and they can mediate. But, you know, if you go to someone and say, oh, what they, did, they will say to you, oh, I'm sorry, have you spoken to them yet about it? Because I'm afraid I can't listen to it because you need to go and talk to them first and try and put it straight with them first. Um, and I found that really safe coming from A&E where it's very strong personalities um, who definitely do not have the no bitching policy. It felt incredibly safe. And and I would say even now, 20 years on, it feels quite a safe place to be. I know that if someone's got a problem with me, they'll come to me first. And if they don't, they'll come to me with someone else. Yeah, so, yeah. I'd like to talk to you, Chris, but you're not listening. So I've had to bring someone with me. But you feel quite safe that you're not being talked about behind your back. And I think that's a huge. Yeah, it's really important. It's a, I think, yeah, I think it really helps us with recruitment and retention of people knowing that we are all for each other and looking for ways to build each other up. And we, you know, our... We start in the morning with a Bible study and prayer um, just for 15 minutes for anyone who wants to come. It's up to people if they want to turn up to it or not. But we block out the clinics so that anyone who does want to come, they can come. Our away days, we often have, you know, a, a bit of time of worship or you know, some time to pray with each other in teams. Again, optional. But I think it does add another layer of just support and 
you know, we've got a shared belief that actually every person is valuable and regardless of the situation. And for patients, we're really keen. We used to have a thing about serving the least, the last and the lost, but we sort of changed that now because we feel that so many people are lost. They may be in a different situation and not seem lost to the outside world, but um, essentially so many people get lost in the system of the NHS and get lost to recall uh, you know, or follow up. And actually we, we want to make sure that our most vulnerable patients are really cared for. So it's something that we really care about. Um, as a team and go all out to make sure that we can find a way to register homeless people we can find a way um you know to support um new mothers who are we've got like a a place for vulnerable mothers um, within our neighborhood so being their gp surgery offering extra care to them yeah just going the extra mile for people that we just think you know what the health service has not been great for them in the past and we want to change that so yeah i think our, our core values are yeah make a big difference to the way that we function as a team do you publicise we are a Christian-based practice? No, I mean, I think the fact that we are back... In a church, uh, okay. Um, <laughs> and of course, essentially, we're a normal NHS surgery. To anyone who looks for us online, um, they wouldn't necessarily know that we're a Christian practice. Um, we used to be far more overt. We used to have signs on our walls saying, if you'd like prayer with your prescription, please ask. Um but that was, you know, that was years ago when it was acceptable to do that. Obviously, now we have to be very careful um, because we um, we don't want to offend anyone. We, we do have people of all faiths being our patients. And, you know, our, our links with the church are, are gentle links. You know, we might have a celebration service for new babies um, or we may have a bereavement service once for people who just want to come along and remember somebody who's died. Um but we don't overtly advertise anything in the surgery about us being a Christian practice. It's more, it's a more an extra support layer for the staff that work there if they choose to engage in that part of it. But um, certainly it's not a problem if people don't want to. And we are we have trainees in, we have F2s, SD1s, um, you know, students, etc. Some of whom will go, oh, that's interesting, and they'll sit in on it and go, mm, okay. <laughs> or some of them are like, oh, this is great, you know, this is really nice yeah. that you have this huddle and you know, this time in the morning just to sort of, you know, settle yourself and say, right, why are we here? What are we doing here? What's the purpose of us working this hard? Is it, you know, yeah. is there a bigger purpose out there for us all? And I think for many of us, we feel there is. So it's a good driving force. It's helpful, I think. Do you ever, do you ever get a strong negative reaction to how you run your practice? No, not really. I think, um, most people love it because it's in a church. People are like, oh, it's so peaceful. And the, and the waiting room has got stained glass windows. And um, so it's all very lovely. CQC don't like it particularly because the walls, they're delisted building. So we haven't got okay. nice flat walls. Um, so, you know, the odd cobweb creeps in sometimes up in the, you know, in the arches. So occasionally CQC will say, well, these walls are not CQC compliant. They're like, it's a listed building. So until we have estates, you know, yeah. <laughs> that... For purpose, this is what we've got, and they're you know they're fine with it really. But um, that's the only sort of comment. Most patients uh, think it's really lovely. Some people aren't even aware of it; they just Thank think, you. "Oh, we're, we're renting a room from the back of the church." <laughs> rooms. But no, we haven't had any any strong reaction against it. But I think that's because we're not, yeah, we're not pushy about it. It's there, and we're in the back of a church, so we're renting the rooms from them. So of course, it's going to feel a bit churchy. But yeah, no, we've never had any strong reaction, which is good. How do you go above and beyond for your patients and protect your own mental health and well-being? See, I find that a really interesting question because I, I get the whole self-care thing and I, I, I do. I think it's... Why oh, you sound like you don't, though. 
Oh, I know, I know, I know. There's a big butt coming and you're, are you ready? Okay. For me, I can only speak for me. Yeah. Um, my mental health is better when I know that I've gone all out and I can sleep at night knowing, yeah, I did do those last few e-consults or I did do those last few things and I didn't leave those people hanging for the next day because I just ran out of energy. I My mental health is better when I know that I've done the best I can do. So... And I just think as long as I've got the energy to do it, obviously if I'm sick, I'm sick. That's just the way it is. I'm, you know, Are you ever tired? Of, of course. But I think the problem is I I, I would, whatever I say now. Oh, God, say, you've got I, to say I, it. I'll, I'll be cautious myself it. if I go home without finishing something. I think, you know, the whole bell bin thing, the completed finisher thing, it's about recognising what your personality is like. And if you are a completed finisher, like I am, actually not finishing something is far more dangerous to my mental health. <laughs> <laughs> and to say I'm going to be good to myself and I'm going to walk away from my desk and I'm not going to finish that that would kill me <laughs> so, so I think you know I think the biggest lesson I've learned is that not everyone has the same personality as me and I have to be really? kind to those people that don't you know that are boundaried and although sometimes I feel jealous of them because they say no I've done my 16 patients and I'm not going to see any extras and I think oh goodness sake like I've seen eight extra <laughs> you know I have to remember actually I'm doing that because of my own driving force they're doing that because their driving force is to protect themselves and I have to respect that I think that's that's a harder thing for me is when I see other people self-caring because I want to say brilliant thank you that's really good that you're looking after yourself but there's an edge of me that is like but come on if you all did two more each <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah I, I that's an area that I'm still working on as you can tell um and for me self-care is very different to what other people might be you know I as soon as I finish work I'm straight off to boxing or I'm straight off to Zumba because I know I've still got all that energy that I just need to get rid of before I can possibly sleep and I know that not everyone is like that so I I get it now <laughs> <laughs> but that's probably after years of slight resentment of just like why why are people giving up it's only like it's only seven o'clock we've got at least another two hours that we could probably get away with texting patients um so yeah I yeah I have to rein it in it's interesting so clearly you love your work you love your business you love your patients you've got a really good team when you I didn't do you watch the news are you on twitter do you follow when the Daily Mail just says some, you know, it's the headline. I mean, it's not probably the article's probably fine, but you know, like somebody sees the headline, it's ridiculous. You know, like it's ridiculous. It's, it's doing the job. It's Yeah. How do you manage that? Or do you just... To be honest, I'm not on social media at all. Came off all social media two years ago because I um, I found it really inflammatory and really unhelpful. <laughs> Every All sorts of stuff I found really inflammatory and unhelpful. And I... I think I'd read a book. It might have been the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. people. Yeah. It was about being intentional about how you use your time, and I just thought, do you know what? I'm not intentional when I'm flicking through Facebook or I'm flicking. That's not intentional use of my time. And actually, I just thought there's better things I could be doing. So I watch the news first thing in the morning, you know, BBC or something like that. I try and avoid anything that's that's going to be too inflammatory. I hate all the GP bashing that's going on right now. I think the GPs are incredible. I absolutely, you know, they really do work their butts off. And I get really angry when I see on social media and in, even on some of the mainstream news things about, you know, GPs want more time off. Are you kidding me? 
you know, when they're in, you know, we're being told we're going to have to be open from eight till eight, you know, yeah. five days a week, and then at weekends, and we're already working way more than the hours that we've been contracted to do. You know, who do they think is going to do this? Where are the people? You know, the Brexit's happened. We've lost most, you know, a lot of staff. Where do they think these people are going to come from? And who do they think is going to be carrying the load? And why do they think GPs are leaving? in their thousands and why do they think you know people don't want to work in primary care they're shoving more and more services out to us with no funding they're asking us to do more and more and then they're beating us up on the media and i just you know i i, I think it's completely unfair and i as you can see I'm angry. Um, because i just think i would love them just to come and do a day in the life of you know an actual jobbing gp or an anp in primary care and actually see you know Sometimes I get there at seven o'clock in the morning to start the e-consults. Sometimes I don't go home till half past seven in the evening. And that's a day that we're supposed to be 8.30 till six or whatever, whatever they think we do. You know, when my friends say to me, well, it must be nice being in GP surgery, nice nine to five. I'm like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lovely. Walk in the park. <laughs> Great. Play golf at lunchtime. <laughs> what is, when it comes to the general public or even just like your peer it was like just people in general what is the one thing you would like them to know about working in general practice and on the positive side I think I would love them to see how much we want to get it right for them and and to understand how much of it is handed down from us by NHS England, it's not our decision necessarily to bring in an online system overnight. <laughs> as much as Why I really would you not want to do that? Well, you know, we spend three years planning a change, but somehow, you know, obviously with COVID overnight, everything changed. And um, I think I would love the general public to know that sometimes we are at the mercy of what is handed down to us by NHS England. Sometimes it's a great decision. Sometimes it's a decision that even they really had no choice in doing. Um, But in the long run, we would do our best to try and make it work. You know, with our e-consults, for example, we have, you know, people weren't happy about it, but we, we put out loads of communications. We did videos. We did cheat sheets of how to make it easier to access it. And, you know, we tried to sort of say to them, look, We've, in, we've sort of inherited this. This is not, this wasn't our choice, although we can make it work. We can make the best of this. Uh, and for the people that can use it, there's this way. The people who can't, there's this way. But I think the general public need to know that GPs work incredibly hard to try and meet the needs of their patients. But we are tripped up. We have speed humps all along the way of, of targets and things that we need to do. You know, when CQC visits, everything stops for two weeks because you've got to rewrite all the policies that are exactly the same as they were two years ago. But because it hasn't got the new date on it, you need to just rewrite them. You know, we haven't got people who are sitting there thinking, oh, it's the month that we need to rewrite all the policies. Because we are, you know, clinical face to face from the word go in the morning till when we go home. And often when we get home, we're still looking at results and texting people. And, you know, obviously we set them to not go into eight o'clock in the morning. I wish sometimes they could see um, what goes on um, for an actual GP in practice and and just how hard they work you know and I, that goes for the whole team actually I mean yeah. the, the practice manager she's she's never off her phone or off the computer or not in a meeting or you know dealing with complaints or and our receptionist I mean yeah god love them I don't know how they do it I sit right next to reception and the amount of abuse that they get um, from patients is is horrendous yeah, I, I just, 
I wish I wish the general public could see just how hard and just and actually see our hearts and see and see that we genuinely want to do a good job. We genuinely want to serve their needs. We genuinely want to pick up cancers quickly. We genuinely want to hear, you know, when things aren't working out for them. And, you know, if there's something we can do to help, we want to be those people to help. None of us went into the job to keep them waiting. So, yeah, yeah, I would love to change the general practice perception, but it's the media, unfortunately, have so much more influence on that than I do. Uh, Well, Christine, thank you so much. I've really, really enjoyed this. I really, really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. so much for joining us if you like what you hear I would absolutely love it if you left us an iTunes rating and five star review I know many of you give us a shout out on social media which is lovely to see you guys listening to the podcast so please come and find us on Twitter at THC Primary Care on Instagram and on LinkedIn just look for Tara Humphrey and if you're not subscribed to our newsletter please do you get to hear more insights more confessions some tips and tools and a roundup of our activity over the week so click on join the newsletter in the show notes and I will see you in the next episode.